for people who've gotten COVID-19, what's worse, having your employer label you as disabled or having your employer refuse to label you as disabled? That's the question we ask on today's podcast as we look at new EEOC guidance and the litigation that may follow. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. Happy 2022. Today, we're going to revisit a topic we've already talked about several times on this podcast, how the COVID-19 pandemic is shaping the future of employment law and employment litigation. And actually, there's been a new development here. Last month, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or EEOC, issued some guidance on when someone with COVID does and does not qualify as disabled, which means they are entitled to all the protections of the Americans with Disabilities Act. If you've suffered or are suffering from COVID-19, this determination is a big deal. It could mean the difference between getting a promotion or being passed over, or between getting to work from home or getting fired. Erin Mulvaney covers employment law here in our newsroom, and I brought her back on the podcast to walk through all of this with me and to get into what's been happening in this world more broadly. First, I asked her how employers were handling these questions before the EEOC issued its guidance last month. Employers were often faced with the situation of answering a lot of the questions that the EEOC's guidance uh, did lay out more specifically. It the, Arguably, the EEOC's guidance came a little late because this was something that employers just had to do. <laughs> you know, they had to kind of figure out there was no shortage of requests for these things from workers. They were constantly confronting questions about something that was very unprecedented in the workplace. So the reality is a lot of these companies kind of thought like, okay, obviously, but it, the EEOC's guidance does provide um, a framework and some a, a little bit of clarity that can uh, be used in courts and as these battles play out. Yeah, and we'll get more into the litigation uh, in a little bit, but let's talk about what the EEOC came out with. Um, and, you know, it was so interesting uh, in your reporting on this because you highlighted that they talked about employees who are trying to claim a disability and can't, and also employees who have had a disability tag on them, but don't want it, uh, which are sort of the opposite sides of the same coin. Let's talk about the second one first, uh, employees who, you know, have their employer saying you are disabled and they're saying, no, I'm not. What, what do the EEOC say about that situation? So just to back up a little bit, the ADA actually uh, covers three forms of disability. And that would be, like you said, the first prong is if you have an actual disability and there's an argument about that, depending on the situation. And then there is the perception of a disability, which actually doesn't require the worker to have that disability itself. And then there's the record of impairment, so there is a little bit of a distinction between the, it's called the regarded as prong. It's perceived that you have a disability of some sort. It's a situation where your employer can treat you, you're regarded as having a disability. Is that right? That That's basically the wonky way to say it, which I, <laughs> for sure, I think that's what employment lawyers would say is a regarded as case. And these cases are extremely rare. Um, you really don't see them very often. And the EEOC in pretty much in its guidance 
did say that there are situations where a regarded as claim for COVID can be brought. Just to clarify what we're talking about here, that would, would be a situation where an employee has COVID or had COVID and the employer is saying, uh, I don't want you back at work or I don't want you doing this uh, task or that task. And the employee says, no, I'm fine. I'm not disabled. You're violating my rights under the ADA. Do I have that right? I think it could be that, but it could, other cases are, like, you know, with these ADA cases, it's so hard to say generalizations because there's so much individualized with which each prong that, that I mentioned. But with the regarded as case, it would be, um, I tested positive for COVID and my work, my employer has an adverse action against me because of because of my status as having COVID or I no longer have it two weeks later, but I'm still, you know, you demoted me or you fired me. And where it gets complicated is what do you do about that as an employer? Because an employer could say, well, yeah, but you were coming to work could be a direct threat to my workplace. And I had to take adverse action against you employee. And that would be what would be would play out in court. Right. And that's what uh, another thing I noticed in your story that was so interesting is that you mentioned most regarded as cases uh, came in the context of HIV AIDS, where especially in the 80s and 90s, a lot of employees were retaliated against or, or, you know, uh, harmed in some way by their employer uh, for having HIV or AIDS. And um, it seems like the regarded as cases here are going to be very, very different. Can you talk a little bit about why the attorneys you spoke to say this is like a completely different situation? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so HIV and AIDS had a, a lot of undertone. Those were that is the best parallel for the to understand the regarded as claims, because it would be a, an individual who it has something happen to him or her because of their disability or a perception of a disability. And the way that HIV spread, there really wasn't an idea of a direct threat for, for, because it's by bodily fluids. You know, if you have HIV and AIDS, you could, if you're still functioning, you could go to the office and you shouldn't have an adverse um, employment action against you. With COVID, it's, It'll be interesting to see how these claims play out because what is the specific situation was it could be understandable that somebody required someone not to go to work because they had COVID. And, and this might be in a situation where the job is an essential function. Um, and then in the situation where it's possible to work from home and others are treated differently, that could come up. And, and to be clear, we have seen this that type of case being filed already. And and so the EEOC's guidance was squishy on all of the fr- these fronts because they were saying in some situations it can be, you know, and it, but this is such an unprecedented situation in so many ways, but there are ways that you can that that the employer can say, well, there we we can't have a problem in the workplace. You know, and then you have just kind of complicated situations like that. So let's move on now to the other side of the coin, which uh, is where an employee says, I do have a disability and you, uh, you know, as my employer must provide an accommodation for me. And the employer says no. Um, 
What did the EEOC guidance say about that? The EEOC, again, said in many situations, COVID can be a disability. The EEOC's guidance says, okay, employers, you can't dismiss an, a, a COVID as a disability, um, especially if it, there is evidence of long-haul symptoms, which we've heard a lot about in the news. And I think that the... The, the question we still might not have answered is that's not a slam dunk for the employee necessarily because it depends on what the accommodation is that they're asking for and what they can get. So these short cases of COVID, I, I, I think would have a harder time granting getting um, an accommodation request um, without some proof that there's some kind of lasting effect that would be an impairment. That's a really good point, though, that all and it make it really drives home that all of these cases are totally unique based on the fact patterns, um, because, yeah, it sounds like uh, employees probably can get some accommodations if they are experiencing uh, COVID or especially long COVID, but not any accommodation. I mean, it is, there's there's a limit to what they can what their employers have to give them. Right. Totally there. It, with all these requests, it's almost like a balancing act. The employer is required to engage in an interactive process, which is another wonky term, but it is pretty intuitive that uh, they have to decide what would be a problem for the business if they grant an accommodation for a worker. If I'm a warehouse worker and I need to work from home indefinitely, an employer might say, that's really not the function of your job. I need someone to be working. And, you know, so the accommodation could be giving them a desk job or something you know i that could be the situation with with long haul covid i'm not clear and i think some employment attorneys were raising the question of what exactly some of these accommodations would look like you know there's some there's some symptoms like brain fog and shortness of breath and things like that 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 have been that aren't there isn't an obvious way that there could be an accommodation necessarily. So I think that'll be something that the employer and the employee would work out together. Um, at the end of the day, a, an employer said, we're not going to fight about whether or not COVID could be a disability or not. But this question of the individualized assessment and the accommodations themselves, that's going to be really the meat and potatoes of what the what the next phase of this looks like. So, you know, on this podcast, you and I have talked before, and I've talked with a lot of the your colleagues on the employment and labor desk here at B-Law um, about, you know, the potential wave of litigation, a wave of employment litigation that could happen as a result of COVID. The last time we talked about this, I think there were just some cases that were starting to trickle in. Have we seen this big wave um, or has it not been as big as we thought it would be? We definitely have seen a lot of ADA accommodation requests, absolutely. That's mostly based on anecdotal evidence. Um, there are also lawsuits. It's probably the most frequent thing that we would see related to COVID, these ADA requests. And some of them are that the employer didn't do something as simple as go through the interactive process in a genuine way and dismissed claims. Um, the uh, various accommodation requests. So we've absolutely seen litigations in this area. And a lot of the cases will be novel, I suspect. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about is, is how those cases are, are turning out. I mean, probably almost all of them haven't been resolved yet. But like, 
are there, does it seem like they're heading in the direction of the employer or the employee? Or is it too soon to say? Uh, it, it might be too soon to say. And we might not know for a while. Maybe it, these cases just go so slowly. And But we should be seeing um, how how expansive this has been, at least a hit to the employers, how many lawsuits they've been seeing. And we have had some evidence, I think we've talked about before on accommodation requests for the sect of workers that are able to work in an office and um, maybe worked from home during the pandemic. Yeah. There are, there is evidence that judges are not as sympathetic to employers who deny requests for remote work. And so that potentially I'm, I'm not an employer (laughs) myself, obviously, but like that could be a potential answer to some of the long haul symptoms so that that might play out um but we also have seen some cases settle and so so we didn't get to see them go fully to fruition um finally i wanted to talk to you about the biden administration um you kind of hinted at this before that you know uh, some uh, employers and employment attorneys were a little annoyed that the eoc took this long to come out with this guidance overall based on your sources and the employment attorneys that you talked to um are they happy with how the Biden administration is handling this? And I'm talking about, you know, both sides, you know, attorneys who represent employers and attorneys who represent employees. How are they viewing the, the administration? It's always a mixed bag with, I'm sure you could find people who are <laughs> complaining. I think that uh, employers like consistency, of course, and they, they like to have uh, uniform guidance for uh, everyone. Um, I think a lot of uh, air has been taken out of the room right now with the vaccine mandates that have come from various, uh, ver- the suite of uh, options for that the Biden administration is now fighting in court. Um, and so I think that that's obviously affecting the workplace. And that's something that you can kind of see the Labor Department taking an active role. I think you couldn't argue they're, they're do at least the Biden administration went through his executive orders is attempting to uh, to do that. And now they're fighting about it. Um, the EEOC, I think we're waiting for a lot. We waited for this guidance for a long time. And I think that probably employee event attorneys would always welcome more. I I got, I, I did get a sense from some people that we talked to that maybe they already had to deal with a lot of these issues on the ground and, um, it, it could have been helpful to have it sooner, but, also, here it is. We have it. So, um. <laughs> Better late than never. Right. All right. Well, uh, that was Aaron Mulvaney uh, with Bloomberg Law speaking to me uh, on a snowy day here in Washington, D.C. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for talking. Thank you for having me. And that's another episode of On the Merits in the Books. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Cheryl Sines, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Reach out to us on Twitter. If you have anything on your mind, we use the handle at BLaw. That's B as in booster shot. Or uh, alternatively, that's B as in get your booster shot. Do it today. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. You don't need to be a judge to be interested in our nation's laws and legal institutions. Just like you don't need to have a law degree to be curious about the inner workings of courts, law firms, and law schools. That's where we come in. My name's Adam Allington, and I'm the host of Uncommon Law, a podcast from the Bloomberg Industry Group. 
Uncommon Law is where public policy, storytelling, and the law are combined. We explore big topics ranging from tech policy to free speech to race and gender diversity. So please give us a listen. You can subscribe and download today. Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much.